0: Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 76 of the podcast. My name is Kerry Newhoff. I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. And I've been excited about this episode for a while. Well, honestly, I mean, I I get excited about all the episodes, but this one in particular has really got me excited. And I'll tell you why. Brian is somebody I didn't know a year ago, and uh, he visited us. He came to an Orange Tour stop, I think, maybe in Indianapolis last year. By the way, Orange Conference, Orange Tour amazing places for leaders. Orange Conference happens end of April, and I'm going to be across the street this year at uh, the Rethink Leadership Conference. If you haven't registered yet, don't miss it. Go to rethinkleadership.com. And then in the tour uh, in the fall, usually September to November, we go to a bunch of cities. And I guess that's where um, Brian was. And I didn't meet him, but he met my good friend Reggie Joyner. Reggie connected Brian and I. When I heard his story, I'm like, oh, dude, I got to have you on the podcast. This is incredible. So, Um, Yeah, Brian has actually done a great job taking churches that many people would say either don't have life, like dead, close the doors, or whose best days are way, way, way behind them. And he's seen incredible turnarounds. And he's done this four times. This This is just unreal. So a fascinating, fascinating conversation. Right now, he's at Chicago First Church in the Nazarene, if you are Nazarene you know that that's a pretty historic congregation has helped revitalize that. So I called this episode Raising the Dead. If you believe your church is dead, hang on, because you're going to love it today with Brian Wangler. And he's really articulate. You know, sometimes people have great stories, but they can't tell you, you know, what they did or, you know, some of the principles involved. But I I think you're going to find this uh, really helpful. So I hope that's the case. Anyway, uh, glad you tuned in. That's what's in store for you today. And a couple of things before we jump into my conversation with Brian Wangler. Number one, thank you to everybody who leaves reviews on iTunes. This is great. I'm just going to share a couple of excerpts from some recent folks who have left reviews. We're up to, as of the day, recording 336 reviews on the US iTunes store. Woohoo! That's amazing. When you leave a review, and above all, when you subscribe to the podcast, iTunes goes, oh, this is important. We'll get it out to other people. So when you do that, it's awesome. So, Chris Payne, Chris, thank you so much. You asked the question, is binge listening a sin? He said, uh, Chris says, thanks for doing these podcasts. I just returned from a trip that had me on the road for a total of 36 hours. I'm not even joking when I said it felt like a 36 hour leadership retreat. That is so cool, Chris, because that's sort of my goal, right? The nice thing about these episodes is they come out every week, but they don't go away. You can go right back to episode one with Andy Stanley and start listening there. So if you miss a week, obviously, if you subscribe, you know, they're always on your phone. So you can go back or always available. And, and that's sort of my goal is to build up an archive over the years. And, and that's cool. So you did 36 hours, which is great. And then Chris says, uh, hey, your interview with Aaron Harris really set the example of how all of us as Jesus followers need to engage with anyone who's been rejected by the church. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. You said a lot more, Chris, but uh, so encouraging. I read everyone. And Aaron Harris's episode, by the way, is episode 57. So again, if you want to go back into the archives, uh, you can find it there. Brad Borowski says, uh, most helpful church leadership podcast. He says, I listen to most of the popular church and business leadership podcasts out there. Me too, Brad. Um, And as a lead pastor in a young church plant, let's hear it for startup churches, I can use all the help I can get. And then uh, you say some very kind things, carries insight and clarity along with the experience and wisdom of his guests, make his podcast by far the most helpful for me in my personal attempt to lead a growing and healthy church hey, thanks so much for that, Brad. That's great. Uh, EBC Pastor says, most helpful podcast I've found. And it goes on and on and on. I just want to say thank you uh, for that. That means an awful lot. Uh, again, if you haven't subscribed, it's free. So just go on to iTunes or Stitcher or TuneIn Radio, however you listen, and hit subscribe. And uh, that way you don't miss any of this stuff, which is, which is awesome. And we've got a lot coming up as well. So thank you to everybody who's doing that. You guys, uh, that's sort of the payback. This is what makes it worth it. uh, Hearing from you and knowing that it's actually helping. And man, I'll tell you, I sat down with my assistant, Sarah, last week and we kind of looked ahead at the podcast. I'm like, whoa, I got to stop like asking people to be guests because we got like six months of content um, all rolling out uh, now. So uh, man, it's great. I'm, I'm just so excited about who's coming up and we'll say a little bit more about that. And hey, if you have not yet registered or even checked out the Rethink Leadership Conference, please do that today. Just go to RethinkLeadership.com. I'm going to be in Atlanta the last week of April with Andy Stanley, Pete Wilson, John Acuff, Reggie Joyner, Kara Powell, uh, Brad Lominick, Jeff Henderson, Leonce Crump, and so many more. And we are in a very intimate setting going to equip you hopefully to lead like never before. So um, I'm really looking forward to that. There is still room. The VIP reception is sold out. But if you go to rethinkleadership.com, you can get your spot. And now, without any further ado, here's my conversation with Brian Wangler and some hope for all of you who are like, hey, is this thing ever going to grow? Well, let's find out. Really excited to have Brian Wangler as my guest today. Brian, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hey, Carrie, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Well, it's it's a thrill. I mean, it's pretty exciting to see the story that God has uh written in your life. And so this is one of the things I love. This is like just a, a story about a guy who like every one of us is trying to help a local church win and, and God for whatever reason has given you some incredible fruit in that area, uh, in the context of a denomination. You know, no like you know, zero to million in 28 minutes type (laughs) church growth story we're so used to, um, but incredibly inspiring. So Brian, uh, how long, how long you've been in ministry now? How many years you been doing this? We are just at
1: 25 years.
0: Hey, that's amazing! Congratulations yeah. and happy thank, 25th. Thank so, you. So, and you've had four distinct ministries, and yeah. you can say your denomination because sure. I think most of us are working in denominational contexts. Most listeners, leaders are, and yeah. you know, we're calling this episode "Raising the Dead," and that <laughs> that's that's not an affront to uh, anybody else. It actually, as you and I talked about, it comes out of my story where somebody told me when I was trying to transition three mainline churches. They said, hey, why don't you go plant something, because it's easier to give birth than to raise the dead. Uh, yes. But in fact, we saw God bring life to those three churches, and we amalgamated them, and they re- we reached tons of unchurched people as yeah. a result. And uh, you've got a very similar story. And I, I, when I heard about it through our mutual friend, Reggie Joyner, I just thought, oh, i got to tell this story on the podcast. So that's a long intro to say welcome. <laughs> well, thank you. We're going to let you talk, okay, for real. Yeah. So you've been at this 25 years and four different churches yes Yeah. congregations
1: so we um we you know it, we are in the church of the nazarene and and we really have been blessed because we have found life every place we went now the first place that wow. that we started granted there wa- there wasn't a lot of life there was yes. a, we we went into a little country church where there was uh, five folks left who were dividing up the monthly bills. And the only reason I went out there, I was actually teaching Sunday school in in my home church. And um, and it was a relatively new Christian within two or three years. And there was no one that would go out there. And the district superintendent couldn't come down for a while. And so they asked if I would go and just do something. And, and uh, were you but, like
0: a layperson at this point? I you, was, yeah yeah.
1: yeah. yeah, I was. And so I had— uh, my wife and I went out, and it wasn't long before we fell in love with ministry. And 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 there was life in those five folks, man. I mean, it was really. Uh, oh yeah, I mean, I've I've uh, got a Bible up in my office somewhere where it says, okay, we had five, and then we had seven, and then we had eleven, and fifteen, and eighteen, and and uh, and that church grew to a hundred. It, it was just That's so crazy. much fun. Yeah.
0: Wow, so I love I love the way you phrased that. You said you know you got there, and a lot of people would just smell death, right? They would be like, "Whoa, five people! This is weird." Yeah. Um, but but you said you found life in those five people. Tell us a little bit about that. Like, what what are the signs of life you look for when you're trying to raise the dead?
1: Yeah, I th- I think that in in the context of that setting, there's a little country town, uh, four hundred. The um, population of four hundred. Now we came from a town of about thirty thousand, a few miles away. Right. But but from the from the moment that I preached the first sermon, and I was a little, I had no experience, but I was <laughs> real. I had lots of zeal. Okay? <laughs> okay. Because I had been saved. I was an addict, and so the wow. Lord had had saved me and rescued my marriage and. And the pastor who knocked on my door, um, because my wife had went to see him, <laughs> so there's a whole story there. Wow. But at any rate, um, the, the guy who introduced himself to me was my friend first. He said, I just I just want to help, um, and led me to Christ. And then from the time that I became a believer, I didn't know anything other than missional stuff. I mean, he was like, well, you got to tell your story to somebody. Well, the, mm-hmm. the people who uh, came to faith as a result of what we did in that first local church, he had me baptized. And wow. I didn't have a I wasn't, I mean, it was just, but that was built into me. So when we went to this little church, it was, um, it was game on from the time I started preaching, which was probably a little bit of overkill for the five people sitting in in the room, but it was, but it was all I knew. And when the service was over, uh, there was a husband and his wife and then these three folks, all of them were over 70, 75 years old, but he said, I think we should have a church meeting. And I said, well, I don't know, if, I don't know even what that is, or if we can, I don't, he says, well, he said, here's the thing, we'd already resigned, we were ready to quit, but I think Jesus may be wanting to do something, and if you'll come back, we'll come back. No way. And, and it's exactly what happened. And so wow. we said, okay, and so— um, the the district I called the district superintendent and he said hey I don't care you know nope. do, do you know if if you can get something started go ahead you can, I, it was it was cool because I couldn't break it <laughs> yeah, that, there was nothing left to break, right? Nothing. You got nowhere to go but up. And my background had been business and so yeah. um, and sales, so I was comfortable meeting people. And I just began to walk the streets. And I never knocked on a door, but if somebody was out in the yard, I'd walk up and say, hey, my name's Brian, and I'm the new pastor, and I'm doing some PR. Here's my card. And in a little town like that, by the time I was on like the second street, these little old ladies were inviting me in for pie. I mean, it was just... <laughs> They, they just hadn't – that town – I think many, many times our churches have a tendency to take on the personification of their town. Of their yeah, that's very true. And they were just discouraged and defeated. And so when it hit and and we started, you know, experiencing what it was like to have 30 and 40 and 50 people in service, which they hadn't experienced in decades, it was a it was a big deal. It was so much fun, man.
0: So 30, 40, 50, and then 100 in a town of 400? Right. That is nuts. I mean, that means a quarter of the town's population are coming to your church on a Sunday morning.
1: Well, you know, Tipping Point talks about, and I didn't know this at the time, I, I said to you earlier that there are several of you guys who have helped me greatly, that it would have really helped me if you'd have done what you've did twenty years earlier? Yeah, we'd written the books right. earlier. <laughs> yeah,
0: you were saying leading change without losing it. It's like, where well, oh, yeah. was that when I needed it? <laughs> yeah, I, I was all learning right. all the lessons I would put into the book at the time you were doing that, man. This was what late, not mid '90s, late
1: '90s, uh, early '90s, early '90s. Yeah. But I'll tell you, when uh, trust me, when I got leading change without losing it, I needed it. It was oh, it man. was good. But tipping point talks about how if you could impact ten percent of, of of a demographic you can change a demographic. And so That's we good. just began, we began to say, you know what, in any setting that we've been in, since I kind of picked that up, you know, where we are now in Chicago, there are 49,392 uh, nuns. Right.
0: You Zimler. mean, you mean by that, what David Kinman means by that, exactly. like no identified religion. Right. Right. Gotcha.
1: Within six miles of our building. Wow. So we, I don't set goals so much as attendance goals or anything like that. I, When we go to the church, I said, we have to get ready to to, to impact 10% of that or about 4,000 people. Man, um, That's not a goal that we're setting. That's just what if Jesus is going to change a culture, the data tells us that we're going to impact 10% of that. And so that's what we got to think. We got to begin to think that way. And you don't think that way when you get there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you start – uh, where you are. So, so yeah, the, the, that was our first experience. Church grew to 100. We were uh, invited to go, to, and we were there about five years. Wow. We were invited to go to another church that had was running about 75. So let, let, let's back up. Let's just let's hit the pause button.
0: And I know oh. I, I always send questions in advance, but this is just so fascinating, because uh, in the background bio I had on you, I didn't know there were four churches. I thought there were two. But I mean, hey, there are listeners and leaders right now who are trying to break the five barrier or the ten. <laughs> barrier or the 50 barrier 50 barriers are a real barrier. Okay, so let's talk about that. What are obviously, you know, one thing that was helping you and certainly helped me and I talk about it all the time is I had no idea what I was doing. And so if you don't know any better, you just go in with all these hopes and all these dreams and yeah. maybe oh my goodness, it might work. Like nobody yeah. told me it wouldn't work. Lots yeah. of people later would say, "Oh, you can't do that. You can't do that." I'm like, "Well, it's working. We're just going to do it yeah. anyway." but you had a similar experience. You didn't really know what yeah. to do. So you just did whatever you thought would help.
1: Yeah. And the other thing is, I think, then this was one of the things that, um, that really helped me was that uh, in our movement, in our denomination, uh, I had a, at that point, I had a really good district superintendent mm. who, who would say, Hey, what, what's going on? Um, how did you do that? And I, of course I couldn't tell him, he'd say, well, figure it out. And he was encouraged. And the other thing was, there was a pastor who's now actually the president of one of our universities at Trevecca. His name's Dan Boone. And Dan was the pastor of a church of about 1500 or 2000. And I'll never forget this, Carrie. So we have this annual gathering, a pastor and spouses retreat, right? Where we're on our districts or 70 churches coming together. And I did not want to go to that. Mm. I felt so like I didn't belong. I hadn't gone back to school yet. I was just (laughs) like, and I was, you know, I still had bartenders looking for me at that point in time. Like, <laughs> four years, they were still worried about me. You know, are you is, okay? You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Know Pay this tab. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so, um, so I went to this first gathering, and I'll never forget it. We were probably running forty at the time, yeah. And um, I'm standing in the in the foyer of this hotel, and Dan Boone walks over to me, and he says, "Are you Brian?" And I said, yeah. And he said, I'm Dan. I've been watching what you're doing. How in the world did you do that? And would you and your wife sit with me and my wife? So there were things in that setting, if I can say anything to Mm. pastors out there, when you get a chance to put your arm around somebody, especially guys who are fighting that, that kind of trying to find themselves in ministry and are dealing with that. And uh, he's been a friend. He's been in every church I've pastored since then, and we've had him in Chicago, and we'll have him back again. Mm. But so there were things like that that the Lord did that I couldn't have done yes. myself. It I was agree. Race man. I
0: had a guy who was sort of my boss in the denomination, not a DS, but really an interim moderator, because I wasn't even allowed to chair my own meetings for the first two years because I was yeah. a student. And, you know, he was great. His name was George Cunningham. Unfortunately, he died. He went to be the Lord about 14 years ago. But man, oh man, he just pretended. He said, you just pretend you're the leader and do what you need to do. And I'm here to cheer you on and point out any landmines. And man, we had so much fun together. And I benefited so much from his wisdom. And you're right. I had people. I had a guy who led the largest Presbyterian church in Canada at the time, um, Chuck Congram who discovered what I was doing and did the same thing said what on earth are you doing up there and can we meet and he yeah. said and we are still friends I mean we we share a meal together at least once a year now and you know he's retired at this point but oh my goodness like I don't know where I'd be without those people and Hello. so if you don't have that I hope someone comes your way but if you are that person who's leading the large church and you know of somebody who needs encouragement Here's your action step. Pick up the Um, phone, call them, go invite them for a meal, bring them over to your house, go visit their church and encourage them.
1: I think it's look for life. You know, Mm, you talked about, we we go into that small church and as a pastor, I'm looking for life. Well, the man who at the end of the first service said, this is what we should do. He and I became really close. Uh, And he was a business guy who had just gotten discouraged because it seemed like that, that there weren't systems in the church, and it was like yeah. the, that we weren't playing by the same set of rules. And 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 he watched us make bad decision after bad decision. And so when he saw when he saw life, he jumped on it, and I did too. And I think as a pastor. Um, that's what i look for now when when uh, you know we have a I'm in, I'm in charge and maybe this is part of the reason but uh, i lead a, a monthly gathering called pastors on purpose on our district hmm. and and what we're doing is we're looking for those places where there's some life in a pastor and wow. we want to we want to get to them before the enemy uh, <laughs> you know what i mean or before the 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 job if you will snuffs that light out. And then you just want to feed that man. You find someone who's got that fire and that light. We just want to encourage them. We, we always tell him you're doing better than you think you are. Wow. You got to trust us on this. And you are where you are in this moment by divine appointment. And so hmm. hang in there and God will help you.
0: I love that. That's such a great principle. I've never heard it expressed that simply, but look for life. I mean, look for it in leaders, look for it in churches. I mean, you Very few things are dead. I also thought it was really important what you said that, you know, churches and even communities sometimes feel really bad about themselves. And yeah. maybe God used you to really breathe hope. You know, I always see us preachers as dealers in hope. And so that's good. So you, you've you mentioned 50 a couple times. I mean, yeah. all the literature and I've written about it. Other people have written about it. You know, 200 is a big barrier, but 50 is a barrier. So let's talk about it. Let's yeah. go there. What happened? Uh, what were the hurdles you had to overcome and how did you overcome them by the grace of God? So
1: the, the first person that talked to me about church growth barriers yeah. um, was Dan Boone. And Dr. Boone said, you don't dance with a barrier. You got to blow it up. That's and good. So find a horse, find a horse and ride it and just (laughs) get through. And it's going to be somewhere in the 50 range. Well, what, what was interesting, I can still remember the board meeting in that little church when the church had grown, I was actually working three jobs when I started and they were trying to give me a little bit more income so I could only work two. And, and, uh, and I remember the board meeting where I said to the board, Hey guys, um, if I have one night this week to go calling on people, to go visit people. Mm-hmm. Uh, who do you want me to go see? Right. Do you want me to come to your birthday party, or to your anniversary party, or to see you, or do you want me to go see the folks who walked in last Sunday? Wow, it's up to you. And around the room, it was no, nah, go there, Pastor. Um, and oh, that's so that good. Point, it, and, and this, this was so cool because these at that point in time, the dynamics in the room shifted, and it was like. I said, okay. Now, I did my best to get to as many birthday parties and anniversaries that, you know what I mean, you do your best. But there was something that happened in that moment. And I think that the mindset, we talk with barriers, whether it's 50 or 200 or 500 or 1,000 or whatever the barrier is, there has to be a shift in the mindset. There will likely be a shift in the methods that you use because stuff that is wonderful. I mean, uh, in that church of 50 and under, I was everybody's personal spiritual you know, uh, how could you not be?
0: It's not yeah. like you
1: can say you were too busy right? <laughs> yeah
2: right. it's That's true.
1: Right. So I mean I was there if you sneezed, man, I mean I was at the <laughs> house with a tissue and so I and if you're great, if you had a cousin that was in an accident, dude, I was there. I mean, mm-hmm. well, that works in in getting something going and getting something started. but if you try to pastor a church of a hundred or 150 that way, You'll end up doing only that. So shift in mindset. Okay. So what are we thinking now? Um, and a shift in the methods. We're going to do things a little bit different. Um, and and so those those are shifts I think that have to come at every barrier. And this is something um, that is so important. The time to get ready for your next barrier is not when you get there. Hmm. You start getting ready the minute you blow through the last one. Wow. So uh, I tell pastors that when when they go through a 50 or 125, what are you going to do when you get to 200, 250? Cuz if you wait till you're there, I mean, you sometimes you got to do staffing stuff yep. that you can't wait till you're there. And the and in a in a larger setting, the person who you know, the great staff for a church of 300 might not be the same staff for a church of a 1000.
0: You would agree with that, would you?
1: Oh my goodness! Yeah, I mean it's me radic- and so, and 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 that doesn't mean they're bad. It means it's different. Yeah. And so, so as you grow to a thousand, or as you grow to that next barrier, th- at some point that staff member is going to come and say, "Hey, I got an opportunity to go to somewhere." As they move on, don't replace them with what got you there. Replace them with where you're going. That's so that, good. That's that. That's the kind of stuff that um, I had another mentor, Dr. Crawford Howe, who was my DS for the old time at Ottawa. And he pounded those kinds of principles into us. Um, he, and, and when, when we got to ready to hire, he would say, so Brian, you know, are you hiring for today or tell me about this person? Um, so those, and, and in the 50 barrier, we saw it, it, we, it literally just kind of swept away, um, with growth, but I, I can take you back to that moment when the, when I asked the board, who do you want me to go see? And, uh, and I let them, That was an honest question. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I wasn't like, you know, sometimes I've come home from a few seminars and told them who I was going to go see. Right. I mean. We, we, we need – there needs to be like this detoxification after we go <laughs> as leaders where we can come back and, and – Because and, these and, are
0: real people, not, not principles and that and that And, and there's life
1: in them. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes um, it's over, right? Sometimes yeah. it's time for the church to close. That's a, it's okay. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. We, we always talk about how I don't think a single church that Paul started it's, is still open. Yep. So um, it's cool. I mean, it's it's okay. But where there's life, there's hope. And if and if and if in a in a setting like that, where you, where you're pastoring church of fifty or sixty or whatever, you have to recognize that that these folks have at some point in time, uh, it's going to be a mirror, a lot of times, of the community that you're in, of mm-hmm. things that are going on. And so what what you're going to bring shift to it, a change to, is not just what happens on Sunday morning, but a whole mindset of what if. Yeah. So if if the church could grow, what would happen if 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 I grew? What would happen if, you know, from a standpoint of our community or any of those things? It's it can get really really exciting.
0: That's great. So at 50 you would say the mindset was a really big shift and basically who am I going to spend my time with? Insiders yep. or outsiders? New yep. people or existing people and they helped you choose. I mean, you knew where you wanted to go, but you helped them and they helped you choose that you were going to focus on outsiders and
1: they were cool with that. We begin to hand stuff off. So I began to say, uh, this was another thing that we were coached on was that, you know, the leader needs to make sure that they're not doing something that someone else could do. Right. Um, And a lot of times better. Mm hmm. So you mentioned that it looked like um, I was in a music studio, and I'm in one of the sound rooms here at our church. But um, so I do play the guitar, and yeah. there was a time when I like led worship with the guitar. Carry <laughs> it was awful, I, <laughs> yeah. but but I loved doing it, and we didn't have anything else, and so right. it was cool. But the time came where it really wasn't about what I loved to do. Right. Mm -hmm. It wasn't about that. It was about handing things off. And that's something that um, that takes some time and coaching. I did
0: the graphic design for a few years for our church, which basically was clip art. I mean, it was horrible, (laughs) was horrible, but it was better than what was there before which was, I think, done on a Gestetner in the 70s. I don't know what happened. But, you know, and then clearly, I mean, if I touched anything design-wise at our church now, I I think it would shrink to nothing. But, yeah, um, yeah, you know, there's a role that you play, and then you realize, you know, this is not my principal contribution, and and away you go. That's good. So those were key changes. Anything else in the, you know, 5 to 100 church before we move on to your next church?
1: I I think that it— the, this is true of the 50 and I think it's true all the way through however, whatever the size is that, um, when you look at what you're about, it Mm. can't be, well, we're just going to get over this hump or we're going to try to, to accomplish this set of stated goals, but you want to build a culture, a leadership culture that's going to continue to change Mm. so that, um, we are constantly shifting and moving and, and, and evaluating um, and experimenting, which is and to, to pastor in that culture. If you're if, if, say anybody's out there pastoring a small church, it is worth it to lead that group of uh, your, whatever team you have to a place where they will begin to experiment, because it is so cool huh. to be able to say, hey, let's try this. And, and if it works— Then everybody goes, yay. And if it doesn't, then you stand up and I've had to do this on more than one occasion and go, hey, this was, we thought this was a great idea or I did and it did not go well. I am really sorry. And what's happened is that I I feel like there have been times, Kerry, when I have gained more credibility on my misses than I did on my successes because we just said, whoa, that was awful.
0: Yeah. (laughs) And everybody in the room, this is so important. It's such a great principle. Everybody in the room knew it was awful, but they didn't know whether you would have the courage to say it. And when you get up as a leader and go, hey, this was my idea or I, you know, you take full responsibility. I allowed this to happen. Yeah. It was a bad idea. Everyone goes, oh, thank goodness you knew. Thank goodness you knew. So I can see how that builds credibility.
1: Totally. I mean. I have a really embarrassing short story about that. Go ahead. My wife's going to kill me for telling this. Okay. So years ago in the early 90s, um, there was a Bible study out that was the uh, Andy Griffith Bible study. The old Andy Griffith show, right? Okay. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: Family show. Back... uh, uh, it was still, you know, people were still watching on rerun. And and so there was a, a summer Bible study they put out where you could show a portion of the show. And then these guys had brought this theme in. Well, we we, de- we decorated on uh, a weeknight. I think it was our Wednesday night service back in those days when we had one. So we decorated the foyer and we had all, you know, invite <laughs> your friends. It's going to be fun. And we gave away, you know, all kinds. It was a blast. and And we reached some folks. There were some folks who would not come, who came to that. It was cool. It was good. So the next summer, it's like, oh, what do we do now? And I I, man, I don't even want to say this out loud, but the same company had produced the Beverly Hillbillies Bible study. <laughs> <laughs> and so – so the guy who was leading us came and said, hey, man, I found another one. It's going to be great. And I'm like, sure. Well, there's a big difference between the Andy Griffith Show and Beverly, <laughs> Beverly
0: Hillbillies Bible Study with the cement
1: pond.
2: Well, the oh, my goodness.
1: And Granny's loaded about half the time. And, you know, Jethro's <laughs> chasing women. We got three weeks into that, and I stood up on a Sunday morning and said, this is the end of the Beverly Hills Bible study. <laughs> And even as I said it, I thought, what kind of an idiot would approve that? And everybody laughed. But, but it's but you gain trust when when you do that because they' they're more willing to let you experiment uh, number one because these, these are folks who want to see their kids and grandkids come into faith yeah. especially yeah. if you're in a smaller church there are folks in that church who have given their whole life mm-hmm. and they honestly don't want to see the church die yeah. but they're terrified and and so so if you can you know there's moments when when they know that hey, we can follow this person, this leader, because if they blow it, it's okay. They're going to acknowledge it, and they're going to figure it out eventually.
0: That's so, so good. And I think, is that one of the appeals you made um, to the older crew that was there? Because you said, you know, the average age was, I don't know, 65, 70, 75, 80, whatever. 75 yeah, or 80. 75 or 80. But that's what I found with these old yep. churches. It's just like, okay, you know, what do you think about your kids and grandkids? And that Absolutely. was extremely motivating to them
1: absolutely yeah. I think I think there's a in in the United States especially in our movement there's a large number of churches that, that where folks have reached an age where having I mean given up a t- invested and their heart has been in that local church um, they see what's going on and yeah. and they're, they're not like, dumb if you've got an answer um, but you, you can't go to a seminar come home open up the book and then quit two days later, right? <laughs> yeah, you can't. Yeah. There, there's a process, and that's where where your book, especially, um, well, both of them actually, uh, lasting impact, talking about the conversations, because that's mm. where this has to start. It has to start, but with having conversations with people and having the right conversations, which is what lasting impacts about. But how to lead change without losing it is kind of is is the equivalent of coming to a group of people and saying, "Hey, let's go on a journey together." Yeah. Um, yeah. If. And we, we – in every assignment I've had, I spend a lot of time studying the history of the church mm-hmm. because what, what we're able to say is that we owe it to the people who built the room that we're in, the sanctuary that we're in. We owe it to the people that launched this thing yeah. to take it to the next level. Not only are they not going to be offended, they're only going to be offended if we don't. We, we, we've got to go, and you'll find story after story after story – of uh, in the early days of virtually any Congress, it's a gold mine.
0: It is. You know, it's it's funny you should say that because a couple of weeks ago, totally cleaned out my office and like just you know all those file folders you need to get to and that sort of thing. And I ran into a uh, our first stewardship campaign that moved us out of the three historic buildings and into an elementary school, and ultimately a few years later into a, a multi-million dollar facility, and. It was called Strong Roots, Vibrant Growth. And I mean, the graphic design is laughable now. But I mean, there's all kinds of pictures in there. And I'd forgotten this. There's all kinds of pictures of like the youth group in 1930. And what we did in that time, I kind of forgot, was we appealed to the historic mission, which really didn't change, but got lost in that generation and said, you know, these are just new methods, but the same mission. And uh, so we were showing it around the office last week and everyone was laughing and, you know, laughing at the picture of me when I was in my 30s and the whole deal. But that was a really good memory. And that was it. It's like, hey, the mission is the same. We just have to revive yeah. it for this generation or we have to yeah. translate it for this generation. Yeah. And and I think you also, you know, don't don't change and run. I mean, I've been in this community with some of these same people for 21 years now. And yeah. You know, not that you have to stay two decades, but you you can't do this in two years and just bail. No. So you were no, there for five,
1: right? Yeah. We were there, right? Yeah, we were there, right? And then um, the second church was in uh, Elgin, Illinois. Okay. And uh, and that was the place where really I began to struggle with how do I do this? Mm-hmm. Because I was in a different setting um, in that first church. Right. When you start with five and you're running a hundred, you can pretty much do anything you want to do because right. they're like. You know, a lot of those folks are just converts to the to the faith, and and they're on fire. And yeah. and then I moved into another setting where there was a little bit more background present. You know, there were folks were still there who were yeah. hurt, that hadn't left, and so we began to work through that. We were there um, about four years, and uh, and the church uh, almost tripled. I mean, it was it was growth. But so,
0: where did it start at? What what size? It,
1: it started at about seventy, and we got to one hundred and eighty. Wow. And so. Um and we would have Easters that would, you know, that were that were big. But this was where I I can still remember reaching a point where I didn't know what to do.
2: Hmm.
1: Where I had I had used all the tools in my toolbox and 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 it was like, Lord, we're just we're here and I began to look for answers. And um and it was at that point in time that I actually got an invitation to go to another setting, which was Ottawa where I met the mentor that uh, radically changed my life. I'll never forget. So um, what's interesting is that when I left that second assignment and went to Ottawa, which was a church of about 230, 240. And that's women. Ottawa in the U.S., not in and, and, Ontario, right. Canada, where I live. Yeah, that's right. They, We, we had grown. I, I, I went through the same thing. So we, we went. We were there about three years. The church grew to 350 or whatever. And I can remember having an appointment with my mentor and my district superintendent. And I said, you know, it looks like that I'm going to be like a three or four year guy. Hmm. Um, I can turn some stuff around. I can get something started, but I've I've used, you know, I've used all the tools in my toolbox. I think we're plateaued, with 350. I think we're about done. And so, do you have another another place you could send me that might be in need of that? And I'll never forget. I thought this was a really noble thing to do. Right. Put yourself I,
0: like, on the altar. it's like, absolutely absolutely Here
1: I am. Send me. And he, he Dr. Howe wrote down note after note after note, looked at me over the top of his glasses and, and we got done. He said, is that it? And I said, yeah, I'll never forget this. He said, okay. He said, Brian, if you want to move, you can get a church. I'll help you find a church, but do me a favor. Don't ever talk to me this way again. And I'm like, excuse me. Wow. He said, I followed your ministry from the time you started until today. And you've been challenging people to leave their comfort zones. You've been challenging them to stretch. You've been challenging them to grow. But now, when it's time for you to stretch and for you to grow, you just want to go to another side. If that's what you want to do, that's fine. I'll help you. It's cool. But don't, don't. Don't give
0: me that speech again. (laughs) My goodness. You've had great leaders, great mentors along the way. I have. And, you know, that does happen. I've said, you know, 20 years in the same place, I feel like I'm five different leaders. And about every four or five years, I have to reinvent myself. And, you know, getting past 800 just took forever for us. And I thought, am I ever going to be able to do it? Am I ever going to be able to lead in that way? And, you know, you can. But, like, your old methods don't work. You've got to change.
1: You, you, and and Doctor Howe was huge. Crawford was he was huge on this. You've got to be a student. Be a student. Learn from everybody, and you can. Right. I mean, I go back to when I was in that first little church, and Dan Boone said, "How do you do that?" Some of that he was saying to encourage me, but he was also a constant. He literally just wanted to know what hmm. was going on, and so with uh, we we talk about how that if the minute that I stop learning, yeah, um, all of my previous learning. In my experience, it doesn't help me. Hmm. It, becomes, it becomes the barrier. So True. we've got to we've got to continue to learn. I've, I've been I get to meet with some organic uh, church planters, some pastors who, you know, the approach where you know we're not doing the big event and we're you know yeah. and it's just, it was such radical stuff for me, right? But I committed and I wanted to get closer. Because I knew there was some things that we could learn, and boy, it that has been huge. So I think so it's that,
0: learning from people who are different than you, not just like the guy who's the church growth barrier person down the road. Yeah, no, gotcha. And
1: you look for life. So ah, I, I heard there you go. Guy who was doing some organic church planting, and I saw like the fire of Jesus in him, even though it was radically different than than we planted, and we were we were part of several church plants. But I was like, man, there's something in there, and I, I can't afford not, to, not to, to see it and to hear it. So I, I think that part of what happens in ministry is that we have a tendency to get isolated. Yes. And, um, and, we're, and in a denominational setting, a lot of times people are – guys are, and ladies are afraid. And so um, we put on a face and we go to whatever we have to go to and we call each other brother and we talk about how mm. great it is and how awful the world is. And uh, and and we don't ever get to a place where we say, hey, um, I need to figure this out and, and I need help. And, mm. uh, and man, I, there's all kinds of help out there. If you're coachable and teachable, yep. it's out there. You can find it.
0: So you got stuck at 350. What was getting you stuck and what did you need to reinvent in yourself as a leader and then in the church at that stage as well? Because that, you know, the other, the other reality I often forget is most of us have only ever led a church as big as the church we're leading now. Do, do you know what I mean? Like, I've never led a bigger church than our church right now. Right. And that's been true over the last 21 years. It's just yeah. never been bigger than at that moment in time. And then you run into a new ceiling and you're like, okay, now what? Right, so you you've never led anything that big. Yep. Uh, that church probably hasn't been that big in a long never time. Been big, never right. been that big. So right. you're all stuck. How do you get unstuck?
1: You know, uh, first of all, we declared that we were stuck. Good. Uh, that that was a moment when I can remember. So one of the things that we did early on at Ottawa, and mm. we'd learned we'd learned this at our previous assignment, was that um, in in an effort to try to stay connected with the senior adult congregation and the folks in the in the the church had been there a while. We had a a, a senior adult luncheon once a month. Okay. And uh, and at that luncheon we would provide the meat and they and the staff and there was three of us I think in that church of three fifty, uh and and at that meeting I would get up and you know I would say so tell me what. Tell me what you're thinking about, and they would tell me, you know, it's too hot, it's too cold, it's too loud, and you know that. And I'd say, I know, I understand. And 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 over time, we had fun with that because hmm. it was every month. And then I would say, and then I would share with them, here's what I'm dealing with. Um, uh, and I can remember telling them, guys, we're stuck. And and the problem with that is not church growth; it's that these are your kids and grandkids. And and would you pray with us? And so. There was a period. Now, this came after my conversation with my with Doctor Howe, who said, "Please don't talk to me that way again." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I I went and I and so we we began to pray and then we began to listen. Hmm. We committed ourselves to listen to what uh, I uh, we challenged our church to 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 ask questions about of the people they work with, the people who live n- their neighbors, their kids. Why don't you go? You know, this stuff that. Uh, Every uh, so many people have done. You know, have have you ever gone to church? Why don't you go to church? What do you think about God? What do you think about Christian? And it was so much fun to hear them bring that data back to me. Now we could have got that from any number of of Bill Hybels surveys or any of that kind of stuff. Could have googled it. But but when but when they came back and said, "Here's what my nephew said." Here's we said, all right, all right, what do we do? And so then we began to explore and we, uh, I began to read everything I could get my hands on and we were kind of looking. And it was then that we had uh, some, uh, a couple of our leaders who went to a, to an Acts two conference at Willow, hmm. um, and, uh, and heard Reggie Joiner, and boom, it the was famous
2: online.
0: talk at that conference uh, where I brought out the shopping carts. Yep. I feel like it's almost like one of those elections that was really close, but everybody says they voted for Kennedy or whatever. <laughs> I think everybody I know was at that talk. I don't know, right. The auditorium was only so big. But uh, yeah, that was a pivotal talk and a really powerful talk. And so that was about reaching the next generation. That was about actually partnering with parents and engaging families and making family ministry a priority of the whole church, which, of course, these days has become orange and... so much more. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, it was. But what that did for us was that our folks were so in love and it's that family ministry approach so resonated with all the age groups that we said, now, listen, if we're going to do this, we're going to have to get ready for guests. We have to receive guests. And so that's where we began to say, well, when would be the best time for us to do a small group setting? Is it Sunday morning? Well, I don't see how we can do that. Plus, these other things, right. and we only have so many rooms. So, man, this might be a time for us to do that. And, and if we're gonna if we're gonna create this atmosphere on the weekend that is irresistible, right? That's Andy Stanley's. Mm-hmm. We we'll want the church to be irresistible, but Jesus is irresistible. Um, then, man, if every Sunday's gonna be Easter, you know, we're learning from everybody. Rick Warren speaking yeah, to us. You got oh, it if we're going to do that, uh, we, we're going to need to, to, to streamline our schedule. So we probably won't do public services on Sunday night and Wednesday night anymore. Right. Like, Oh, and so it was, it just kind of evolved and, and there were rough spots along the way, but, uh, but that, you know, we found that thing, that catalyst for us and, Uh, And it was certainly a God thing, and it resonated with the people, and and that is where the church grew from 240
0: to 1,000. Wow, which is incredible. So to get past that stuck point, you kind of pulled your core together— And you brainstormed and you found a new model. It's funny, I think we were running parallel existences because I had grown a program-based church, killed all the old programs, started some new ones, and then went, "Nah, that's not it either. (laughs) And then shut down all the programs we started, much to a lot of people's chagrin. And, uh, and, you know, that ushered in the new era. So you brought it up to a thousand people at that point. And yeah. then uh, take us take us to the next chapter, your current yes. chapter, correct?
1: Well, so so as part of that, we began to be involved in church planting. And so we did it, a restart um, of a church not too far away. I, one of the coolest stories, there was a church about um, maybe 20 minutes away, a Nazarene church, about 20 minutes mm-hmm. away from us. And the pastor's name was Larry Furtado. He was at the tail end of his ministry. And he asked to meet with me. And he said, you know, Brian, I've been pastoring my whole life. Right. And he'd been at the church he was at like 20 plus years. And he said, I do not want this, my ministry to end leaving the church where it is. Can we partner on something or can you, can we work together? And uh, Larry was just this godly, wonderful guy. And Hmm. I said, absolutely. We put our heads together. He came on staff with us as our uh, senior adult and visitation pastor And then we began to to do two services in Ottawa and then drive the um, 30, uh, 20 minutes or so. And the music would already have started at this other little church. And I'd (laughs) walk in and preach. And then we met with the leaders in the afternoon. And so that church, we called in a church planner. That church restarted. Um, Eventually, um, now they're running in the 250, 275 range probably. So we'd done some of that. We did a video campus. It was so funny because – uh, at the at the church that we were uh, at Ottawa, there was a church on the south side of town. Now, Ottawa uh, in the United States is a town of 18,000 people. Okay, I mean, I mean, we- So you, a church you, of a
0: thousand again in a city it, of 18,000. It, it was cool. Incredible.
1: So, so uh, the fact that there was another Nazarene church just three miles away, and it was, again, it was a prototypical small church that was on its last legs down to just a few people. And we had sent pulpit supply for them. They wouldn't quit. These folks would not quit, but they, they, they were there and eventually they approached us and said, can we do something? And so we launched a video campus there. And that was our first endeavor into that. And now the the church now I, I left in 2012, um, we got a call. Uh, this is another thing too. We had, uh, we'd been at Ottawa, we'd raised our kids yeah. at Ottawa and, uh, it was our home. It'll always be kind of our home. And, Uh, great folks. And, and, and we, and we were thinking, okay, maybe we'll go south someplace warm. Mm -hmm. Um, And, uh, but we begin to feel like there might be a move and Chicago first calls. And um, this is the oldest church in our denomination, 111 years old, Wow, actually predates the denomination. Um, Our, all of the greats of our founders, Phineas F. you know, I've, I've got a pulpit that that, that won't mean anything if you're not Nazarene, but if you are, it means a lot. He, uh, that he preached from, and there's just these great stories. They, they had, uh, sent some folks out to see what we were doing and wanted to talk to us. And at first we we're like, yeah, there is no way it's a traditional church and <laughs> a great church. I mean, it's healthy. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't a church in trouble or any of that. Yeah. Um, but it was plateaued and had been plateaued for about 10 years. Gotcha. Um, and so, uh, we had a couple of different conversations and, uh, and then found out that the the previous pastor had started a ministry uh, in one of the worst neighborhoods of Chicago. Hmm. Uh, the Austin neighborhood of Chicago at that time uh, the data that we saw in that early was seventy percent of the kids in that neighborhood didn't grad, don 't graduate high school. Wow, so he had started to work there, and when my wife and i we went down, we saw that building. And we begin to think about what if God would help us to leverage the resources of a large church, hmm. deliver the personality and the proximity of a healthy small church, right where the church is needed most, which is right down the block. Um, and it was over. I mean, we come back. No way. Well, we're in time and, to go. Yep. So uh, yeah, so uh, we have uh, we we came to Chicago first, which a church of about eight fifty. Um, and, uh, and with strong leadership, the board, I mean, it was a gutsy move. My Mm. resume looks nothing like the previous pastors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but their, their heart was for reaching people. And Mm. so we, uh, we, uh, you know, I, we executed a hundred day plan when I came in and that first hundred days is so important. Yes, it is. What were,
0: I mean, just the quick bullet points,
1: what were some of the highlights of
0: your hundred day plan?
1: You know, you're going to listen to as many stories as you possibly can. You're going to read everything I read, everything I could get my hands on that had ever been written about Chicago first. Um, Any histories, any of the like capital campaign stuff, you want to get all that. You want to get to the folks who know the history. You want to absorb it. You don't want to make any decisions that you do not have to make. Right. Um, That's a big one. Um, And then when you're done with the first hundred days, do it again. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> because you're just getting started. So um, about four months in, uh, we presented the idea of a major refocus to the church. And we had worked with a guy by the name of Dr. Larry McCain, who now is my district superintendent. He wasn't then. But uh, Dr. McCain had done a lot of work in our movement with helping churches kind of call a timeout and uh, evaluate mission and vision and develop core values and, and then execute a plan. Right. That's where we, that's where we miss it. Sometimes we have a lot, Lots been written and there's a lot of church stuff around, you know, developing your mission statement and your core values, but executing it. Yeah. If, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a little different. And so, um, uh, he became our coach. That's another thing I would tell a, a pastor. If you're going to lead a church through something, don't do it alone.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, find someone who has been where you are, right. Find someone who, who understands you, it's really important for a coach to understand you, to know you, yeah. um, to, that, that understands the culture that you're ministering in. Um, he did that for us, and the church voted to do it. And then that, that was in the fall of 2012. 2013, we put a refocus team together of about a dozen people who were highly gifted uh, right. and loved the church. And for, there was a June, July, and August of 2013, this team met every Wednesday night for three hours. Wow. Um, they, they, this is what they did on their summer vacation. Um, hmm. and <clears throat> we went through the history and every meeting carry every meeting began. Matter of fact, every single meeting that I have, um, whether it's with staff or whether it's a church board or some other ministry team, um, begins with what has Jesus been saying to you? Wow. So we, we, I'm counting on you to spend some time with Jesus. And so—
0: That sounds like John Stickle, episode 29. That's the question he asks his leadership team. Absolutely.
1: It it helped us. It kept the air clear. When we went to the congregation, I was able to have those members say, every meeting began with this question. And it just disarmed so much of the fear that people have that we're going to try to chase the latest, greatest thing. So that team brought back a proposal, and uh, and then so that was in the fall. In the spring of the next year, um, and that was a proposal to move to a family ministry, uh, which is you know you don't do all the other stuff you used to do. You focus that. That was and
0: just to just to amplify that, at the heart of the orange strategy is this idea that you pour resources into the next generation that that would get dissipated in a thousand directions, but you focus them on the family. And uh, you can go to whatisorange.org if you want more information yeah. about that. But super helpful. Okay, keep going.
1: Ab- absolutely. So, uh, and we knew that for us to be able to disciple, um, if, if we were going to be, if we were going to break the plateau, um, we were going to have to make some other changes. Mm-hmm. And that was going to be a change in schedule. And so the proposal came down to, you know what, we are plateaued. We, we can argue with that. 10 years, and we've spent an awful lot of God's money in that 10 years, Hmm. we're plateaued. It's not that nobody's getting help. They are. It's not that nobody—you know what I mean? It's not that nothing good is happening, but we're not seeing the breakthroughs Mm -hmm. that we'd like to. And so so we said, um, we're not only plateaued, we're positioned. Hmm. And so we were able to shift that and say, so a lot of the things that we've been doing—because we used to have this smorgasbord of ministry. So if you came in and got our bulletin, it was like— you know, it was a, a phone big phone book yeah, yeah back in the and, day and said yeah we're not gonna do that anymore we're gonna we're gonna take matter of fact there were 50 um, no I'm sorry there were nearly a hundred programs Wow in the local church at or right when I came we One were only for able, every
0: eight people that's quite it, amazing
1: it was it was um, and they were all good ideas <laughs> yeah that, that, and see that whole program thing can help you at a point. But you grow out of it because you can't keep them all. You no. can't keep them all.
0: And they're not so, all equally effective.
1: And they're and it's hard to quit, mm-hmm. right? It's hard to tell someone, you know. So we said we're going to go from that to about 10 or maybe wow. less. And so in the, the spring of the next year or the uh, winter of the next year, starting in January, we begin to invite people in 50 to 75 at a time. And they came in on Friday night and Saturday morning. And it was cool because we played uh, – you know, Reggie Joyner's, uh, acts to family thing. And, um, and then we would, we began to talk about, um, how we wanted to we wanted to launch small groups and mm-hmm. we wanted to move away from trying to do everything on Sunday morning. So we wanted to, there were people, this was like some great data. talk about being in position. We found out that people were driving to our church from 63 different communities. Wow. Cause it's the suburbs of Chicago. So, yeah. you know,
0: and a historic church that had a draw.
1: Right. So we said, we're going to reverse that. Hmm. We want to send people out to 63 different. So we began to talk about life groups and small groups. And and, uh, and we did, um, I think we did six of those weekends with 50 to 75 at a time. And I would stand up at the end and it would be, okay, this is how we got to where we are. We want to give you a sampling of what the refocus team spent all that time on. Now talk to me about what you're thinking, and and it was pretty predictable, right? I mean, there was, well, you know, so what about this, and mm-hmm. what about that, and you don't care about, the, you know, because you you talk more about the loss than you do us, and what about us, and so, so you what? Kinda, you, how
0: did you answer that? How do you say it? What do you say to that?
1: Um, so th- there was, uh, first of all, you 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 listen, mm-hmm. you try to see beyond. I mean, if I give a snap response to someone who says, what about us? It's probably not going to be very nice, right? <laughs> that's and it's right. it's going to be cynical. And, but that's a result of 20 plus years of having mentors mm-hmm. talk to me. And people are where they've been led. So I think, I think that what we began to say was what we're doing in reaching out to these 49,000, we're doing for you. Mm. Um, You're going to find new life in ways that you've never seen it before. Not only that, but some of these 49,000 are your kids and your grandkids. So you just begin to – you have to begin – you have to be extremely patient. Reframe the issue for them in many ways. That's that's the crucial conversations that you talk about in Lasting Impact. Um, Why are they leaving the church? And what, what are we willing to do to reach them? And what might that look like? And, uh, and 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 it, it's interesting because going through that first refocus with that church from five to fifty, um, and then breaking through the two hundred barrier and 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 going through some of that, the the issues are the same regardless of the size of the church. Now the scope is different, the weight is different, the the culture. In other words, uh, you're gonna you're gonna talk to people differently in different parts of the country. Yeah, um, uh, but. But but the issues are the same, and so you, I think that when you talked about having your church needing a new pastor every five years mm-hmm. because you changed, I think that's what you have to you have to continue to grow into, and people are afraid, and uh, people are they've heard this before. I mean, my goodness, the last 25 years, how many times have conferences went on or they and a pastor come back and here's the new thing. And and so you've got to you've got to gain and earn their trust and and walk with them. Um, through the difficulties, through the process.
0: That's so true. And, you know, you talk, I write about this, but you talk about it as well. That's communicating change in concentric circles. So you bring those six groups of 75 people, or, you know, you start with your core team or your refocus group, and you did that in your other churches. And that's so wise because, you know, you didn't hit all 825, but by the time you're really ready to embark on the change, right. 100, 200, 300 people have bought in. Right. And then, and then, you know, you know, that change is going to be successful as a result. Brian, let me ask you in the time that we have left, um, because this has been fascinating. What other, just in a nutshell, what other barriers, like did you have to reinvent governance or staffing? You mentioned, you know, the staff that got you to 300 might not get you to 700 or a thousand. And then what are, what are some other barriers just briefly that you had to overcome?
1: I think pretty much all of those. Yeah. Um, I mean, you're, you're going to make some transitions. If there comes a time when the senior pastor needs to, to take another assignment, then the same thing is going to be true. We haven't done that with all, and we wanted to work. We wanted those to be wins for everybody, mm-hmm. so we were very careful about that. But you have to ask questions. And governance, we're really, really fortunate in the Church of the Nazarene because our district superintendents can allow – allows us – and our, our protocol allows us to make shifts – so that right. we haven't had major changes in So you in didn't that.
0: have like major congregational opposition or votes that you couldn't win or anything like
1: that. No, and what's interesting is that in the middle of the refocus here, which it's, you know, now this is refocus on a big scale because you're at a church of 800, 111-year-old mm-hmm. church. Um, what happened in the middle of it was that we were we were doing things that really we needed to do some work at the church. Yeah. And so we wanted to be able to do the family ministry model with, with – um, the, uh, family experience, the FX experience. And, and so I had a lady on the refocus team who for a living was a project manager for a construction company. They had, they had rebuilt auditoriums at Notre Dame university, all these different places. She came to me and said, we haven't spent any money on our sanctuary in 30 years. We need to renovate right now. And I said, we're in the middle of this major change and, and not everybody's happy. And, and now, if we do that, this has got to go to a church vote, and and we don't have the money, and so um, it was unbelievable. Carrie, I said, but I'll take it to the board, and I took it to the board, and there were five unanimous votes. The congregational vote was somewhere in the neighborhood of eighty-five to ninety percent. Really, it was above eighty percent anyway, and um, and it was just boom. Uh, it was it was just a God thing, and people came forward. It was, uh, and so we started having other donations come in when I went to the, we didn't have time to do a capital campaign or any of that. I went to the congregation and I said, here's the idea. It's going to be about $1.7 million. By the way, I have 750,000 already. Oh man. And that was in a two week period of time. So that's why when wow. I talk about, are this church being positioned? It really, really was, but you had to be willing to, to go through a process and say, okay, we're going to have to work some of this out. There needs to be a system. We need to think. We need to talk, and we've got to be willing. We got to be resilient enough to stick it out because it, at times it gets tough.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's so true. What's uh, what's kept you from quitting?
1: Um, I think there's the the, the the life in a lot of the leaders around mm-hmm. you. I mean, when you when you think about when you see everything that is uh, that is so. Um, so powerful. I think there's a, obviously a spiritual connection. Um, I was reading first 1 Timothy one seventeen. Um, Paul said, honestly you know, was his friend and he yeah. said, he searched hard for me until he found me. Mm-hmm. And so there's this grit, right? That Hybels talks about that. It's like, we're going to do this. We're going to figure it out in, in, uh, a matter of fact, I've got a, uh, a, a blog and a devotional that's going to come out again in February called um before you quit. Um hmm. uh, and it was kind of taken through a series of these uh different refocuses that we were involved in where well, one of them my son came up to me and said dad you're not writing anything you're not you know usually they they were the growing up in our home they were accustomed to a lot of stuff right Yeah yeah and uh and I said man I said you know here's the thing I I don't have much to say right now it's pretty hard he goes well that's when you need to talk and so I started uh as just a some a journal really Talking about uh, what I'd like to do is quit, hmm. and then the the idea came. Well, before you quit, and so that's there's a so thirty one day thirty one day devotional coming out. Called and where before, where can
0: people get that before? I quit. Brian,
1: it, that'll be at our website, brianwangler com. Okay, I think that all of those forces will sustain you in the midst. And in in the devotional, we talk about how that's not a devotional to say don't quit. It's a devotional dis- because sometimes it's t- if the horse is dead, right? Yeah, yeah. Get off it, right? Get off it. but before you do, what you don't want to do is is leave right before the breakthrough. You know, Seth Godin's book "The Dip" um, is a great, great resource in that because you you know there there you you've got to be willing to to go the distance. What got you there? Um, or I'm sorry. Um, leading change without losing it does the same thing. He, you know, you say early on, you're, you know, this is not going to be easy. It's going to mm-hmm. take time, but but you can trust you can trust the one who's called you, and the mission that you're on is the greatest rescue mission of all time. So it's, it's uh, it
0: is it really is. So that's Brian Wangler, W A N G L E R dot com, uh, and that's where they can get the devotion. And then you've got something else, because I know people are going to want to connect with you. They're going to want to find out more. I mean, we're on the hour mark of this conversation now, which is no, 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 no. This has been so good. But obviously, there's so much more we can say and people are going to want to drill down. So tell us, tell us what else you got.
1: So uh, if, uh, if you go to the website, uh, uh and give us your email, we'll send you like seven chapters of Before You Quit that you can look at for free. But the other thing that we're working with right now that we're really excited about is a few years ago, um, we, we were seeing folks come to Christ with little or no background. And uh, we, were, we wanted them to have a moment in the Word, a devotional moment, mm-hmm. um, outside of the service where they would connect with God, connect with, with the Bible, their Bible— um, so that they could become, Hybels calls us, self-feeders, right? We, right? we want that. We want them to have that. And so we begin to, we, we found, uh, we, we didn't find a lot there in terms of right. for that, gotcha. for someone just starting. So we wrote something called God Time, Your First 31 Days. Great. And it was designed to hand a new believer and it'll introduce them to the concepts in those 31 days that they'll spend the rest of their journey unpacking. Um, And churches have found that really, really effective. It's been uh, digitally transposed and folks at the discipleship place um, used it digitally for several years. And it's going to be available. It is available, as a matter of fact, right now at com, And it's a great book for somebody just starting out.
0: I know there's a lot of people like us who have conversion growth, and we'll definitely check that out. Brian… Wow, you've helped a lot of leaders today, and I, th- I think even more importantly, encouraged a lot of leaders today. Some very practical, but also really hopeful. Thank you so much for being on the podcast.
1: Oh, Kerry, thank you. You are a hero to me. I have, your books have been exactly the right thing at exactly the right time, and I just, I said thank you to you in the email when we first started talking, but I, I can look at you now here for a moment, at least on Skype, and tell you, I deeply appreciate your ministry. Thank oh, you so wow. much for what you're
0: well, thank you. And I promise you it's 100% mutual. I just get so encouraged by what God has done through you over and over and over again and continues to do. Amen. Thanks, Carrie. Thanks, Brian. Well, how cool is that? So you can get everything in the show notes today. Just go to CarrieNewhoff.com episode 76. Uh, and I'm going to spell my name because I never do. And it's, you know, easy to say, terrible to spell. C-A-R-E-Y-N-I-E dot com episode 76. Uh, and then people go like, what is that? Is that German? Everybody guesses German. It's actually Dutch. That's what it is. My parents both immigrated from Holland. I'm a native Canadian born in this country. Um, but anyway, so that's Newhoff. That's it. So newhoff.com. And uh, that's slash episode 76. And Brian also blogs at Brian Wangler, W-A-N-G-L-E-R, com And you want to maybe send him some love. And all his, the links to his social media are in the show notes. So uh, thank him for today's episode because uh, that was awesome, wasn't it? So, hey, we got a lot coming up in the next few weeks. Uh, I got Perry Noble coming up, which I'm very excited about. Uh, who else is coming up? Andy Stanley is coming back on the podcast. Um, man, there's, there's a lot of folks. And, again, one of, the, one of the gems of this podcast that I love so much is that some of my guests you've just never heard of before. They don't like speak at conferences. They're not famous, but often those are the most popular episodes. People just love it. And you know, if you're like me, you're kind of like, Oh, like anybody can do this. This is an all skate, which is, which is great. Uh, also really excited about, um, talking to Justin Dean. Justin was at Mars Hill, uh, when everything collapsed, he was the director of social media and online. And he and I are going to have a conversation about Mars Hill two years later. Um, Fascinating. And then next week, it's John Burke. You're going to hear me. I mean, lots of people who are on this podcast, most of the people, honestly, who are on this podcast, have written books. And uh, this was one where I actually chased down the author. And uh, I knew a lot of people who knew John, but it was just like, hey, would you be on my show? He's going to talk about Imagine Heaven, which just fascinated me. He takes over a thousand near death experiences that have been chronicled in medical literature. Uh, interviews people who've survived near-death experiences, and then does a mashup by basically mashing this up with what the scripture teaches about the afterlife. And it was a book I could not put down. John was kind enough to come on the podcast. It's a fascinating, wide-ranging conversation about eternity that for those of us who preach about it on a regular basis, I think this is really going to make you kind of go, huh, never thought about that before. Anyway, that's lots of fun. That's coming up next week. And again, if you subscribe away you go. You're going to get it automatically on your devices first thing Tuesday morning, because that's when these things launch. So thanks to everybody who uh, left ratings and reviews. Thanks for sharing the love. If you enjoyed this episode, uh, put it on your social media, uh, share it with your friends, text, email, whatever you need to do. And again, if you haven't checked out rethinkleadership.com, that is the venue of the year. You do not want to miss it. There is still room. The VIP reception is sold out now but uh, there's still room for you to get in. So go to rethinkleadership.com and hang out with Andy Stanley, with Pete Wilson, with me, with Brad Lominick, Jeff Henderson, and so many others at the end of April. Sound good? Okay, listen, hey, we'll be back next week. Thanks so much for listening. And I hope our time together today helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the
1: Kerry Newhoff Leadership Podcast.